Well, good morning and welcome to our continuing study in Luke chapter 4. And we've been uh, kind of lingering around chapter 4, verse 31 and 32 and examining these astonishing doctrines that the Lord spoke about. And they came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. He taught them, the Lord did. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. And so we've been spending some time exploring the doctrines which Christ was teaching on the Sabbath days and and every day, as we noted in uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, where <clears throat> there was delivered under him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it to the minister and sat down in the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. <clears throat> And then we find uh, a little bit later that he applies the, his sovereignty and teaching of that in the fact that uh, sovereign mercy, in our lesson on sovereign mercy, parts one and two, he extended his mercy. Uh, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elias, and the heavens were shut up three years and six months when the great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, the city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow, and many lepers in Israel in the time of Elias the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. Both Gentiles, and uh, those those things would have been astonishing uh, to those those folks. And <clears throat> so the basic premise of our lessons and what Christ taught was this, as he expounded in uh, chapter 24, verse 27 of Luke, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And our first lesson then, again, was from uh, Genesis chapter 2, uh, regarding the true meaning of the Sabbath, because it says he, he taught them on Sabbath days. And we learned that that was to rest in the finished work of Christ. And our, then our next lesson was on the fall in Adam and total depravity, the reason why we need to rest in the finished work of Christ, why no one can come to Christ except the Father which sent Christ, draw him, as it says in John 6:44. There is none righteous, none that doeth good, none that seeketh God. And that is from Psalm 14, and quoted again in Romans chapter 3. And so our lesson today on unconditional election, not, and that simply means that God chose, God exercise his sovereign right to choose and that choosing was not conditioned upon anything no works no merit only the sovereign electing eternal love of the father he just elected he just chose out of for the out of the pleasure of his own goodwill that he might set his eternal love on some out of the many in the world 
and <clears throat> it was his sovereign right to choose some and not others and and we don't know who that that is only god knows who that is well we might imagine that on a sabbath day and the scriptures again says he taught on the sabbath days that jesus might very well have directed that the book of moses called genesis be brought to him in the book of the prophet malachi uh, and they might be brought to him for to read and to teach them these astonishing spiritual uh, doctrines these the the meaning contained concerning himself because it said uh, again beginning at moses and all the prophets he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself and we think that that means all the scriptures every single scripture has something to do with christ or about him and this teaching is so very important because as we learned from the previous lesson on total depravity that there is none that doeth good none righteous none that understandeth none that seek god that's that's pretty specific and it leaves none out none means none in our in our in our natural state, though, we have our own mind, our own idea of God, and, and we find that, that, that those ways are, are based in an incorrect uh, perception of God, an incorrect understanding. There's none that understandeth and none that seek God. No man can means no man can, as it says in John 64. No man can uh, come to me except the Father draw him no man can means no man can except the drawing of the father is essential it's necessary it's required uh, in our dead condition we we, ha we have no ability to come uh, as the scriptures are apt to point out in jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3 if you turn there jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3 the, it says the lord hath appeared of old unto me saying yea I have loved thee with an everlasting love therefore <clears throat> with loving kindness have I drawn thee and there again is that that eternal electing love that almighty drawing of the father that's so essential um, we won't come without that uh, we're dead in trespasses and sin and it means exactly that dead men cannot and will not respond unless they are brought to spiritual life by being given a new heart and the new birth <clears throat> regenerated by the spirit of god and caused to believe the gospel of the death of christ who died for our sins according to the scriptures was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures <clears throat> and again we we in our own natural state we we try to approach god on our terms we have our idea of god we have our idea of how he should operate what what we think he should do according to our standards and he says my ways are not your ways my ways are higher than, <laughs> than your ways and uh, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man and those are the ways of death so <clears throat> So <clears throat> since all by nature uh, reject God and are at enmity with him, the scripture tells us, and none seek him. Remember, uh, we, we found that in total depravity, that Adam, first thing, he hid himself from God. He did not come to God. We find that God 
came to him. None choose God. And the scripture plainly, plainly teaches that it is God that sovereignly chooses. He has that right and he has that ability. This, however, flies in the face of man's most cherished doctrine, which is that of free will, free self-will, which basically says that man can come, that man can be righteous of his own works, that man can choose God, that man does understand, that man is not dead in sin. That, isn't that ironic? After we read all those scriptures, and, and the basic tenet of man is the exact opposite of all those things. And and we say that would these these things that man can uh, that would be from the book of man chapter one verse one. <laughs> but we find in Romans chapter nine verse sixteen it says, "It is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy." And so <clears throat> uh, back to our our text that we wanted to look at today that would have been available at the time of this teaching by Jesus of astonishing doctrine from Luke chapter 4 verse 31 and 32 and beginning at Moses. So we go to the book of Moses called Genesis in chapter 25 and we read these words. Genesis 25 starting in verse 19 and these are the generations of Isaac Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. <clears throat> and Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. She, she couldn't have any children. <clears throat> and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And remember, he had promised his father Abraham that of him... There would be a nation born that was greater than the sand of the sea. And, and, and so we find this fulfillment of the Lord's uh, covenant of grace here. Uh, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived in, in verse 22. And then it says, and the children struggled within her. She conceived twins. And it says the children struggled within her. Uh, together within her and she said if it be so why am I thus and she went to inquire of the Lord <clears throat> can I don't know if we can imagine that and uh, in women that have had babies and and been pregnant know that they're they're pretty active there sometimes <laughs> she's pretty what's going on in there what are you guys doing <clears throat> and the Lord said unto her <clears throat> Before they're born, before they've done anything, two nations are in thy womb, according to God's purpose. And two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. That would have been the exact opposite of what would have been the custom. The elder son always inherited the blessing, the, the inheritance. And... And here, God says, that's not going to be the case. And it's kind of pictorial, I think, of of the Jews and the Gentiles. It kind of gives you that, that hint of the Jews were first 
But having rejected Christ, lo, I turn to the Gentiles. And so it kind of gives us that that impression. The elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came out his brother, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And so we have that report from Moses. And then in all the prophets regarding these same two brothers, in Malachi chapter 1, verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet you say, he's talking to them in their natural condition, and they say, yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Now, that's a pretty potent statement from God Almighty. I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau. Two very clear statements. And among the several things revealed about Christ in these two scriptures regarding Jacob and Esau are... Uh, One, the almighty power of God who blessed Rebekah with children, even though she was barren, but he blessed her with children according to the covenant of grace that he had made. And the sovereign nature of God working according to his own purpose and will is displayed regarding the future of the two children who not even yet been born and are predestined on their paths according to the purpose of God in Christ. They were going to struggle and it says uh, one people shall be stronger than the other people and the elder shall serve the younger the term struggle together in Genesis 25 22 seems to portend what would be experienced in life from then on between the people of God and the rest the prophets Ezekiel Obadiah and Amos all describe the eternal ruin of the progeny of Esau, the the Edomites, there he he said, I laid them waste, and <clears throat> I hated them. He said, <clears throat> and they did not regard God, and that is the condition that we all find ourselves in before the rebirth, before we've been born again, before uh, regenerating grace. <clears throat> I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness, Malachi 1.3. These scriptures lay bare the truth of God's sovereignty. They disavow the popular notion that God loves everyone, which this scripture declares clearly that he does not. Now, a close examination of the scripture revealed that neither son had many redeeming qualities. <clears throat> they were both rotten. Jacob was called the supplanter. He was a conniver, uh, <clears throat> the deceiver who who connived to get the blessing with his mother. They, they, they put the fake hair on his arms and they made the fake savory meat for his father, his father who was blind, and Isaac. And 
they they fooled him into thinking that Jacob was the elder son when the time for the blessing and the inheritance came down and and <clears throat> they they did that in a deceitful way and Esau he cared not for his inheritance he came in from the field that day and said hey I'll trade you all my inheritance for a bowl of soup and he didn't care he was not concerned about it not concerned about God his only concern was with satisfying the desire of the flesh that day so neither of them had any merits to claim Neither one of them was deserving of mercy based on their actions and behavior. And in the view of the doctrine of man, God is, is not fair if he doesn't extend equal and non-prejudicial opportunity to all. That's the, the kind of the crux of the matter that comes down to it with people in their natural condition. They have their idea of God. They have their idea of how he should operate according to their principles. <clears throat> and they forget that there's none that seek God. There's none that understandeth. There's none righteous. No man can uh, come. Uh, and forgetting what Jesus himself says in Luke chapter 13, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets, the ones that he sent to tell them about himself, about his the rest and the finished work of himself, that stoneth them that are sent to thee, how oft would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and you would not. How many times have the prophets came and presented the gospel? We have the gospel in Genesis and, and Malachi and Isaiah and Ezekiel and, and the Psalms and the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and all the Old Testament Bible, and they would not. A few did, a few saw what the scriptures were talking about, that they, they were all talking about Christ, the gospel. <clears throat> this gospel invitation in Christ is always extended. How often would I have gathered you together? But you would not. Man is free to come if he wills to do so. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say come and let him that heareth say come and let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. Man may come of his own but he cannot because he's spiritually dead. Dead as Lazarus in the tomb and it took almighty power for him to come. Lazarus come forth and then he did but before that he was just a dead stiff laying there unable to do anything <clears throat> so now uh, we turn to Romans the 11th chapter verse 7 and we, we we look at this unconditional election this this electing by God. We we have an election going on right now in the United States where we choose our officials. We've just chosen in our primaries here in Oregon our local representatives and judges and all the all the, the things that are up for election, up for choosing by the people. And and we 
we would be pretty upset if someone took away our ability or our right to choose. But yet <clears throat> we say God is not fair if he exercises that thing. And he is the creator of all things and all things were created by him and for him. And <clears throat> for his pleasure they were and are created. He has the, the right of creatorship and he has the right of almightiness. He has the right of sovereignty, <clears throat> of righteousness. But, you know, this is a doctrine here stated in, in several places in Romans. <clears throat> we're, gonna, we're not going to look at all the scriptures today because there's just so many. It's, uh, it would just not be possible to do this in four or five lessons. But in Romans 11.7, <clears throat> I read this because our pastor used this verse in his message on what makes the difference. What then hath Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for? They were trying to get it by works. They were trying to get it by self-righteousness. They were trying to get it by uh, the book of man, chapter 1, verse 1. Self-will, self-righteousness. They have not obtained what he seeketh for, but the election, <clears throat> the election of God Almighty in eternity hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. <clears throat> and <clears throat> it's a pretty potent verse there. <clears throat> now this is a, a doctrine that's almost universally despised except by those who have been saved by grace and know that if not for God's having chosen them, they would never have chosen Him. It's just not palatable to them because it denies their own, their own free will. It denies their... I have I have a will. I can choose or I cannot choose. In John chapter 15 verse 16 Jesus said in your red letter edition it says you have not chosen me but I have chosen you and ordained you <clears throat> that you should go forth and and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain and whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. So he's, we've not chosen him, but he, he has chosen us and ordained us. He's set us on a path uh, to, uh, for the furtherance of the gospel to accomplish what he would have us to do. Because God is chosen by the foolishness of preaching to, to save them that believe. And we believe according to the working of his mighty power. So the Apostle Paul, he's, he's careful to fully explain the, the doctrine in, in this epistle to the Romans that we're going to look at <clears throat> because he, he uses these same scriptures that we looked at in Genesis chapter 25 and in Malachi chapter 1. <clears throat> and he's explaining this, teaching them this doctrine uh, and the arguments against it being the same in all ages, then and now. Nothing has changed. The nature of man is is the same. In the ninth chapter of Romans, the, the apostle by the Spirit lays out the spiritual truth of the sovereignty of God in election. It's it's God's choosing or not choosing. And and he begins back even before the part that we read about uh, in in uh, Genesis twenty five, he backs up a little bit. He references back to Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael. And the reference is, is clear. In, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. 
Remember, remember, he had two sons, one by the bondwoman, Ishmael, and he had one uh, by his wife, Sarah, the Isaac. And <clears throat> so, in Isaac shall thy seed be called, even though both Isaac and Ishmael were children of Abraham, God did not choose Ishmael. And that is very clear if you go back and read that that back in Genesis. So he begins here in, in Romans chapter 9, uh, beginning in verse 1. He say, I say the truth in Christ. He's going to expound to them in all the scriptures and Moses and uh, the prophets, all the things about Christ. He's going to begin there and teach them about Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, <clears throat> who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants, the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. They had all these benefits. They had all these things. Yet we find over in Hebrews, it says, not being mixed with faith and then that heard it, uh, it did not profit them. And he said, whose are the fathers? And as whom concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all. God bless forever. Amen. Everybody was clear on that. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So he says... <clears throat> The Gentiles are included here. They're, just because they're not Jewish doesn't mean that they're not of the seed of the promise. And just because they are of the seed of Abraham physically doesn't mean that they necessarily are the children of promise. <clears throat> these, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Uh, Genesis uh, find that in Genesis 28 verse 1 through 3 uh, he's quoting there for this is the word of promise at this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son not the bondwoman but Sarah shall have a son he promised that through her there would there would come the the seed <clears throat> not through the bondwoman the symbol of works and so from eternity, God chose, or we use the word elected, Isaac. And next, in Romans chapter 9, Paul points out again that God sovereignly chose Jacob and not Esau. So we have our second instance of God's sovereign electing choice according to his purpose. And referencing again the two scriptures from the beginning of our lesson in Genesis 25 and Malachi 1. And not only this, not only that he didn't choose Ishmael, but he chose Isaac, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, and then he says, he quotes here from, from Genesis 25, they, before they were born, he said, the elder is going to serve the younger. Before the, the children not being yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, 
the elder shall serve the younger. And then he says, then as it is written in Malachi chapter 1, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. So we have two principles here. We have the eternal electing love of God and his sovereign right in choosing whom he would exercise that love on. And since neither one in their natural condition, neither one of them chose God, neither one seeketh God, neither one could understand. Uh, None means none. Neither one had anything uh, meritorious to recommend them to God. It was only God's self-determined sovereign purpose and will that he determined to put his electing love on one and not the other when neither one of them deserved uh, his his electing love. Uh, I think it was Spurgeon who said, I can understand why God hated Esau, but I cannot for the life of me understand why he would love Jacob. <laughs> they were both stinkers. And Jacob himself said, few and evil have been the, the days of the years of my life. And after he reflected on how his natural condition uh, <clears throat> Now, in verse 14 of Romans, the ninth chapter, Paul, by the Spirit, addresses the objection that is common to man through the ages. This is nothing new. What shall we say then? Because he chose Jacob and not Esau. Because he chose Isaac and not Ishmael. Because he loved the one and hated the other. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. If it was by merit, then God would be just in choosing no one because neither one of them really deserved it. And we find that through through the scriptures, that's it's always the case. <clears throat> that man is always complaining, well, God's not fair if he doesn't do it the way I think he should. Ezekiel, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 25. <clears throat> Just a quick verse we'll read here. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not equal. That's what everybody says in their natural condition. Well, if God does that, then he's not my God. If God does that, then he's not fair. If God does that, then he's not just. If he doesn't give everyone equal opportunity, then he's not He's not uh, right. Hear, O now house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, and and those are the way of death. If we depended on God to be equal, then equality would have been uh, death to all. And so, and we'll look at a verse here in a little bit further on in Romans chapter twenty-nine, or Romans nine twenty-nine, that emphasizes that. So this teaching of the doctrine of the sovereignty of God in dispensing mercy is then displayed and the reference is back to Moses again in the book of Exodus in and he's in all the scriptures the things concerning himself in Romans 9:15 says for he saith to Moses I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy he chooses and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion so then because It's God's sovereign right to dispense mercy as it pleases him. He says, so then, it is not of him that willeth. 
nor of him that runneth or worketh, but God that showeth mercy, not of works, not of will. When people say, I have a will, I have a free will, the scripture says that is not the deciding factor. That is not the thing that that causes God uh, to look at us in any condition other than our natural self. He only uh, looks at us through Christ in that way. That he, Christ has made the difference. That we rest in His finished works. And He says, "For the," and and He says, "I've raised up people to do what I want them to do according to My purpose." For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, "Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show My power in thee." And that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore, because of these things that we've just read, these scriptures that we've just examined, therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. And then we would, if we were to read a couple of more verses down in Romans uh, chapter 9 in, into verse 21, he emphasizes this with a scripture from the Old Testament again. Hath not the potter power over the clay? And the potter being God the Almighty and, and the clay being us. Uh, he's I can make whatever I want out of them. I can make this vessel a vessel unto honor and this vessel unto dishonor. All according to my my will, my purpose, my pleasure. <clears throat> now, if it were left to man alone to present some merit or work to count for righteousness and to overcome our sin by ourselves and denying the gift of God, the only satisfactory way of peace, here's what would be the outcome. In verse 29 of Romans chapter 9, And as Isaiah said before, Except the Lord of Seboeth or the Lord of Hosts had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. That's how we would end up, except for electing unconditional electing grace, eternal love exhibited. That's and he's quoting there from from Isaiah chapter one verse nine. Except the Lord of Hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom and we should have been like unto Gomorrah, destroyed. That's what would happen. So the apostle by the Spirit points out the the only differentiating factor is Christ and the people God the Father elected and gave to him in the covenant of grace. And he says in verse 33 of Romans 9, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, because these doctrines are astonishing. And they're a rock of offense to the unbelievers. They're a stumbling stone. Well, I can't believe that. God's not right if he does that. I can't, I don't, you read, you say the word election and people kind of fritz out. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. They'll, they'll look at that and say, oh my God, I would never have been saved had it not been for electing eternal love. For electing grace uh, brought me, drew me to him <clears throat> by the gospel. Now the whole 
of the next chapter in Romans, of chapter 10, exposes the futility of man trying to supply his own righteousness by works and rejecting the righteousness of, of God in the finished work of Christ. And chapter 10 declares ne- the necessity of preaching the, the gospel uh, of God in the finished work of Christ. He says, For the scripture saith, Whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Uh, the ones that, that he exercises grace on and causes them to call upon him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How can they do that? Because they are spiritually dead. They can't believe. How shall they believe of him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? All according to God's purpose. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? It's a common thing that ever since the fall, the gospel is preached, but without divine power making it effectual, it's just simply not believed. He says, "Who hath believed our report?" I'm preaching the gospel, but mostly they're trying to kill me. <clears throat> Who hath believed our report? So then, faith. Come by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So chapter 10 closes with a reminder that the gospel invitation has always been extended, but no man can come except the Father draw him. But Isaiah was very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. The ones that he had exercise unconditional eternal electing love on the ones that previously fall unto the none righteous none understandeth none that seeketh God but to Israel he says all day long I've stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people and of themselves in their free will in their own self-righteousness he says you would not So again, in chapter 11 of Romans, the apostle declares that it's sovereign electing grace alone that makes the difference and not merit or works. Uh, Again, he's quoting from the Old Testament in Romans 11, verse 4. But what saith the answer of God unto him? Because Isaiah said, I'm all alone and they're trying to kill me. I'm hiding out in a cave here. (laughs) I think I'm all alone, Lord. God said, I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, at this present time also, there is a remnant. A remnant of what? A remnant according to the election of grace. The choosing, this word just means choosing of God. The, The choosing of God, the election of grace. And, back to the the uh, issue of works he says and if it's by grace unmerited favor then it is no more of works 
Remember in our lesson from, from the Sabbath, he that enters into the rest of the Lord has ceased from his own works as the Lord did cease from his works. Uh, from Genesis uh, chapter 2. <clears throat> so if it's by grace, then it's no more works. That's that's what happens when people are reborn. They They give up, they cease their own works, and they say, thank God for unconditional election because there was there was nothing meritorious in my behavior there was nothing meritorious in my approach to God my idea of him says, otherwise grace is no more grace but if it be of works if you can get there by works then it is no more grace otherwise work is no more work uh, <clears throat> sometime back i I brought a lesson from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. And this scripture says, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. And he, he knew something about them. He knew something about them because he says, Brethren, beloved of the Lord, knowing your election of God because... Here's, and he says, here's how I know that. Because our gospel came to you not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit. They were coming to him and saying, we're seeing Jesus in all the scriptures. <laughs> we're seeing him. It's not just the law. It's not just a bunch of rules that we have to follow. It's not just a history lesson. We're, we're seeing Christ revealed in all the scriptures. Every time we look at something, we're finding something. It's like this unconditional election. I don't know how many verses I looked at in the Old and New Testament. It talks about election and choosing and and uh, <clears throat> that by God. And <clears throat> it's not just one or two verses in the New Testament that, that uh, people that are upset with this uh, claim it is. <clears throat> and so he said, I know you're you're you've been elected of God because you believe the gospel. The gospel came to you just not not in word as it does in so many cases where they're just words on a page and you read them and to some they mean nothing. But when the Holy Spirit gets involved with those that were <clears throat> elected unconditionally by God in eternity and applies it to them and causes them to have the new birth and causes them to believe he says, I know. I can see it. You have an understanding that you didn't have before about sin. You have an understanding about God. You have an understanding about sovereignty. You have an understanding about sin and the fall. <clears throat> you have an understanding about resting in the finished work of Christ. So if then we come to Christ, if there be any who turn from where they were, which was dead in sin, and trust by faith in His merit, have total reliance on Christ for salvation in His finished work, we find it was because of eternal, sovereign, electing love. And we are eternally grateful for it because we know we would have gone to eternity against God without it. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1, <clears throat> verse. we're just going to read a couple of verses out of this. It's kind of like pulling one golden nugget out of a big sack. But uh, Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us 
with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, before they were even born or had done any works, good or bad, before the foundation of the world, that we, and here is the result of that, that we should be holy and without blame before him. And I always, uh, in my uh, Greek interlinear, I think this is the colon here is supplied in the wrong place. In love, having predestinated us. It could fit either way, but I think it makes more sense. In love, eternal electing love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now in John, we're going to close here in John chapter 17, because unconditional election means that he chose some and some he didn't choose. And and the ones that he didn't choose want nothing to do with him and are just as happy going their way. And they have a, a, a view of you that, it, well, if you need that, that's fine for you. If you need a crutch, if you need this, if you need a religion or Jesus, well, that's fine for you. But I don't need that because I'm good on my own. I have my own will. I have my own idea of God, if there even is a God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. <clears throat> but Jesus said in John chapter 17, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee as thou hast given him power over all flesh He's got power over every, everything, all creation, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. That's very specific. He has power over everything, but he has given eternal life to as many as the Father had given him in the covenant of grace. And so our next astonishing doctrine that we're going to look at particular redemption or as it's uh, often referred to as limited atonement for whom did Christ die and make expiation for their sins and give eternal life Uh, did he die for every man and if so why are men in hell if their sin has been paid for is it an effectual death or an ineffectual death and we'll look at those scriptures next time Lord willing when we get together again from Luke Chapter 4, verse 31 and 32, astonishing doctrine in power. Thank you for your attention, and as always, be free.